This is the Leading Second Podcast. We're on a mission to raise up uncommon church builders and be the kind of leaders our pastors would kill to have on the team. Well, what's up, Leading Second? Welcome back to season three of the Leading Second Podcast. My name is Brandon Stewart, and we are so excited and honored to call you part of this tribe if you lead but you're not in charge if you serve a vision uh, bigger than yourself and lead from the middle then leading second is for you so uh, welcome home so glad you're here today and hey i wanted to start up a new series of podcast episodes here in the middle of the covid 19 you know pandemic that we find ourselves leading in today uh, we've been on a pause from the podcast the last few weeks, just as all of our worlds recalibrated and, you know, we are finding our way through leading in a uh, terrain that we didn't ask for, but yet, uh, God has been talking to me, uh, about me and God's been talking to me about our tribe. And I just felt ready today to come and start a series of conversations with you today, uh, that I pray and believe God uh, will help you and speak to you. So um, I just wanted to check in. I hope you're doing well. I hope that this season uh, finds you well, finds you healthy and safe. I hope that it finds your church well and your pastor well. You know, we're leading in a season none of us asked for, and yet we're here. And God chose us for this season and for this time. And I truly believe it's not an accident. So wherever this message finds you today and lands in your heart, I, I pray that you'll receive it as maybe just something from God today for you uh, in the middle of this context. So, so glad you're here today. Uh, we're going to kick off a series of episodes we're calling How to Have a Personal Revival. How to Have a Personal Revival. I think the big idea that I just hope everyone grabs out of this conversation anyways um, over the next few weeks, however long we do this, is that revival starts with me. Revival starts with me. You know, we uh, started the year with Leading Second actually with a message on how to have a personal revival. And I thought it was just kind of a nice New Year's Eve message. And really, um, for myself anyways, uh, that has become so much more. Uh, it's become a rallying cry for myself right now. I feel like God is changing me right now. And um, I'm believing for God to really do something significant in the local church and in all of our churches and my church. And yet, you know, if we want to call it revival, that's great. Revival simply means something dead coming to life again. And I'm believing for that. And yet I just continue to feel God bring me back to the thought that revival starts with me and that our church will move forward when I move forward and that our church will grow and increase and you know, reach more people when I grow as a leader. And so I'm just sitting in that space and I want to just start conversations with you today and maybe some interviews as well um, that I feel like God is, is um, talking to me on primarily and maybe he'll talk to you as well. So the first installment that I wanted to bring to us today out of uh, how to have a personal revival, I want to share with you kind of the thought that God's been shouting at me the last couple of weeks. Some of you have heard me talk about it in our coaching groups and whatnot, but I just wanted to share it with everybody today. Um, I want to call this week and I want to call this thought for you today, the changing room, the changing room. If you have your Bibles, I don't, I don't know if it's near you or not, wherever you're listening to this today, but I'm going to be reading to you out of Luke 24, uh, 
And um, the big idea of what I wanted to share with you today with the changing room is this thought, and this is so big in me right now. It's in the changing rooms of life that Jesus changes us so we can change the world. It's in the changing rooms of life that Jesus changes us so we can change the world. You know, changing rooms exist every single day in our lives if we have eyes to see them. Uh, one of my favorite pre-COVID-19 activities uh, is to go to the gym. I love a good evening workout and um, it's my kind of my headspace time. And uh, I, I love going to the gym, um, but when you go to the gym, I don't know about you, but I don't usually arrive there ready, you know, dressed and ready to work out. And before you can participate in the activities of the gym, you first have to visit a place called the changing room or the locker room. In other words, the changing room is the place that you go into and you take off the clothes that you were wearing when you arrived at the gym and you put on the necessary clothes uh, in order to participate in the activities of the gym. In other words, it's a, it's a private space. It's a space alone. You're not around other people. And it's a space where something comes off so that something else can go on and you can move forward from one environment and into the next, a changing room. And as uh, we've been in this season now for the last month or six weeks, I just can't get away from the thought that God is offering us as leaders and as his people is offering us a changing room, a place in private, you know, quarantine, stay at home order, you know, a place away from people, a place out of the normal rhythms. He's offering us a place to change something about ourselves. So something can come off. So something else can go on. You know, changing rooms not only exist in our lives, they also existed throughout scripture in the lives of God's people. It wasn't a call to changing room always, but sometimes it was called obscurity or a desert or a captivity. If you want to think of the story of the nation of Israel for Jonah, it was called a whale's belly, um, a wilderness. I don't know what your changing room looks like, but it's certainly something God has used throughout the story of his people, because it's in the changing rooms of life that Jesus changes us so that we can change the world. The name may have been different, but the result was always the same. You know, when I was in Israel last summer, I had the opportunity, of course, to tour and drive around a lot. And on one of those long, hot drives on the tour bus one day, we were driving in the desert and wilderness areas outside of Jerusalem. This would theoretically be you know, maybe the area where Jesus would have gone into the wilderness uh, to be tempted. And, and he was away, uh, you know, after he had been baptized, uh, probably similar areas to where David would have been on the run from Saul back in the day. We were in, in this wilderness, in this desert, and our tour guide said something that day that just really struck me. I, it it um, didn't leave me very quickly. He said, you know, in, in your Western American preaching often you refer to wilderness seasons as the, as a negative. You refer to it as something to be avoided or something to get through. He said that's not entirely, though, the Jewish mindset of wilderness. He said often um, what we see in Scripture and in the 
nation of Israel is that God used wilderness times not as punishment, but as, as refreshing, as rest, as learning. And he said, you know, in the Jewish mindset, wilderness was not something to be avoided. It was something to be embraced. And um, that's what I'm choosing to do right now. I'm choosing to believe that this season we all find ourselves in is a changing room. And it's not something to be avoided. And it's not something uh, to ask to get out of prematurely. I mean, at the end of the day, none of us know how long this is going to go. None of us know um, how long we're truly going to be leading in a crisis type situation, you know, unable to gather regularly in very, very large groups, you know, rather than social distancing being, a play- I mean, none of us know what it's going to look like, but rather than, you know, this season being something we get through, what if this season was something to be embraced and something that we could find ourselves in? Because it's in the changing rooms of life that Jesus changes us so we can change the world. I wanted to read to you for a minute out of Luke chapter 24. And um, I want to read to you one of my favorite stories in all of scripture. It's, it's the story of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And I love the encounter here of, of what happens in some context uh, for this story. Uh, it's resurrection day. Jesus is alive. Uh, the disciples just don't know it yet. In fact, it says, starting in verse 9, it says this, and returning from the tomb, of course, some of the disciples, uh, the women had just found that Jesus wasn't there. It says, and from returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women uh, with them who told these things to the apostles. Verse 11, though, but these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. These words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. When I was reading uh, this story around Easter time, this, these words just jumped off the page to me. It struck me that this is a problem <laughs> in, the, in the lives of the disciples. This is a problem. These are the disciples that are just about to be entrusted with the birth of the church with advancing the gospel, risking their lives, probably many of them giving their lives, um, that's in their future in the next few months and years. And yet at this moment on resurrection day, it says these words seem to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. In other words, they were living in a post-resurrection season, but they had pre-resurrection thinking, powerless thinking. This couldn't possibly be true. I just want you to let that sink in for a minute. They didn't believe. There was a change that needed to happen here, a transition that needed to happen here. And um, so we pick up the story again in verse 28. Um, Later on down the chapter, we have two followers of Jesus now who are walking on the road to Emmaus. Now, this is significant because Emmaus was about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. In other words, um, they were walking away from God's people. They were walking away from the place they were supposed to be gathered and the, 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 the safety of, of, of the community of believers in that day. They were probably discouraged. They were probably um, defeated. 
You know, they, they probably didn't know what way was up. I mean, for all they knew, Jesus, you know, didn't make it. And um, everything they had counted on didn't seem true at the moment. And um, in his kindness, Jesus offers them a changing room. He offers them a moment away from the crowds, away from even other believers, in order to get a hold of their lives um, so that he could do something. And so it says they were walking on the road to Emmaus, and, and I love um, post-resurrection Jesus because post-resurrection Jesus can do phenomenal things, like, like show up in rooms and not have to walk through the door, you know, and show up in people's lives, and he does that here. It says that they were walking on the road, and they were met by Jesus, but they didn't recognize him. And I, I find this story so ironic. They were on the road and they start talking to this man. They don't know it's Jesus. He walks up beside them and they end up talking to Jesus about Jesus. I mean, is this not the ultimate eavesdrop, right? Like, is this not the ultimate, you know, Jesus juke here? And uh, they're talking to Jesus about Jesus and he begins to share things. And then we pick up the story here in verse 28. It says this. So they drew near to the village to where they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Come on, somebody. It's in the changing rooms of life. Jesus changes us so we can change the world. On this day, these Pre-resurrection doubters became post-resurrection believers, and they returned ready to live their mission in a new season, in a new day, after a changing room. And um, I just wonder if Jesus has you right where he wants you today, so that you can have a personal revival, a changing room, so to speak, away from church, away from the crowds, away from the normal pace, because just maybe... Jesus wants to do something in your life in this season. You know, the changing process, if I can land the plane with this thought, the changing process simply looks like this. If we're just going to let God in and have his way, it looks like this. Two things. The old is gone and the new has come. The old is gone and the new is some. In other words, you have to take something off so you can put something on Isaiah 42 and 9 says this, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 16, it says this, Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, pre-resurrection thinking, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In the changing room, something has to come off before something else can be put on. So I have two questions to leave you with today. Talking about the changing room, first would be this. Um, what does God want to subtract from your life in this season? 
What does God want to subtract from your life in this season? You know, subtraction is powerful. Before we can add, we have to first subtract. I love the saying, we say this all the time, I say it all the time. Uh, I love this saying, uh, you know, when someone asks you to do something and you say, you know, yeah, I'll make time for that. And I find it so funny because none of us can make time. Like you are entirely powerless to make time. You're not going to make time. You're going to take time. In other words, to make time for something, you're actually taking it from something else. So you don't make time, you take time. So before you can add, you have to first subtract. I just wonder in this season, what old habits need to go? You know, what old beliefs need to go? I took some time the last couple of weeks and just been off social media, not anti-social media. I'm just subtracting right now. Just getting back to a baseline of rest. And keep in mind, you know, my ministry the last eight years, you know, has been on the road there. You know, last year I flew, you know, 135,000 miles and, you know, 200 and something days in the year and loved it, thrived in it, I feel. And yet you know, I've been grounded the last couple months and um, can't remember in the last eight years a time where I've been home so long. And yet I just feel like God's using it. He's using subtraction in such a powerful way in all of our lives. What does God want to subtract from your life right now? Which then leads me to my second question. What new things are you believing for God to do in this changing room? What new things? What, what, what do you want to believe God to add into this season of your life? You know, some of the greatest innovations in our life have come from seasons of opposition. Some of the greatest apps and companies you, you know and use and interact with today were born in times of downturn and crisis. You know, 13 years ago, a man wanted to create connection uh, at his university. This is right at the beginning of the last downturn and Facebook was born. During that same season, two men couldn't find a hotel room, so they rented a mattress and Airbnb was born. A man also during that season couldn't hail a taxi, so he hired a private car and Uber was born. Thomas Edison and company launched General Electric right as the nation was heading into the panic of 1893. Also, it was in the panic of 1907 that William Durant's transition from a horse-drawn carriage to motorized vehicle paid off and he started General Motors. Another example, Walt Disney knew the nation needed a smile during the Great Depression and Disney was incorporated. In fact, the first Disney full-length motion picture was released right after the Great Depression. Apple, not only did Apple get it started in 1975 during a downturn, but it was when the dot-com bubble burst in 2000 that Apple quickly transitioned and changed to create portable music player called the iPod, which would eventually pave the way for the iPhone. The same thing could be said about Microsoft, Trader Joe's, Hyatt, FedEx, HP, IBM, and the list goes on, all were born in recessions. I just wonder, in this season, what did you stop doing before this season that you need to restart? What will you stand in faith and believe for? Like, what do you want to trust God to do out of this season? Because it's in the changing rooms of life that Jesus changes us so we can change the world. You know, our story in Luke 24 ends in verse 52 
And it says this, and I just thought this was so timely for our situation right now. In verse 52, it says this, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. You know, it won't be long, leading second, before we're all back in church. Won't be long before we're all back meeting together and worshiping God together. I can't wait to be in my own church and be with some of you. And um, I can't wait for that day. But until then, what could Jesus do in your life? Well, we find ourselves in a changing room because it's in the changing rooms of life that Jesus changes us so we can change the world. Man, I'm praying for you today. Leading second, I just wanted to come to you with this thought. I pray that wherever you're listening to this today, that the Holy Spirit would just flood into your heart and flood into that space and you just give him some time. I'm doing it every morning right now. That you would just give him some time to talk to you, to lean on him. And I believe that if you seek him, you will find him. So Lord, I just thank you today for every member of this incredible tribe that you're building and putting together called Leading Second, leaders committed to leading in a healthy way from the middle. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd be our help. I ask that you'd be our guide and our advocate in this season. Be with us, change us, do a new work in us, stretch us so that we can be better for our pastors and our churches in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hey, Leading Second, we love you. I'm so excited. Next week on the podcast, I have a conversation with my pastor, Pastor Kevin Gerald, on how to have a personal revival. Picked his brain recently, and I can't wait to share it with you. It's going to be another great addition to this conversation. We pray this just helps you. Hey, if you're just now finding the podcast, if this is new to you, hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this today. Plan to make us a part of your world. And um, we're going to keep talking and sharing thoughts. And for this season, we pray it helps and feeds your soul. So leading second, we love you. Until next time, let's run strong for the kingdom and lead in an uncommon way together. For more information, you can go to leadingsecond.com and find our digital magazine. You can also follow us on Instagram at leadingsecond to keep up with our community of uncommon church builders. Oh, 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 oh,